بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد الکریم اما بات الحمد للہ جنائٹ از دا ٹوینٹی سیکنڈ آف فیبروری ان دا ایئر ٹو تھاؤزنڈ اینڈ ٹوینٹی تھری الحمد للہ آئی اسپینڈ دا سیشن لاسٹ نائٹ ان family and related matters. And the report I'll mention again, in Imam Ahmad in his Musnad Ibn Adi, and Shaykh al-Bani rahmatullahi states Sahih in As-Sahiha, number 3206, our beloved messenger, he said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, لَا تَقْلَهُ الْبَنَاتِ فَإِنَّهُنَّ الْمُؤْنِسَاتُ الْغَالِيَاتِ Do not have a dislike for daughters, for indeed they are the cheering and daring ones. So the Prophet ﷺ highlighted this is nothing but jahiliyyah to frown upon being blessed with a daughter. Rather, you should be happy. And I should have mentioned, there's a report in Sayyid ibn Mansur in his sunnah. And the gist of the report from the Prophet ﷺ, he said that when a daughter is born, the angels either covered it with their wings or they hold it and they say a frail one born to a frail one. And then they make dua. And the gist of the report indicates that the angels attend the birth of a daughter. So no, nothing for the son. When the daughter is born, the angels are there making dua. And it goes on and on. So Allah was clearly highlighting, this is nothing but jahiliyyah, in which people frown upon daughters. When one is blessed with a child, it is important to offer an aqiqah. A sacrifice in gratitude to Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. However, if one realizes later in one's life and it becomes certain that an aqiqah has not been performed for oneself upon his or her birth, then it is recommended that one does so upon their awareness. Sayyidina Anas, he said, radiyallahu anhu, أَقَّ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم أن نفسه بعد ما بعث نبيا رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم performed an aqeeqah for himself after he was appointed as a prophet this is recorded by Abdul Razak Tahawi and Shaykh Al-Bani Rahmatullahi states Sahih in As-Sahihah number 2726 so here in this flawless report the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم he performed an aqeeqah for himself after prophethood. So this proves that if you know it's not been done for you, you can do it for yourself. The Prophet did it for himself, sallallahu alayhi wa And similarly, Muhammad ibn Sirin, rahmatullahi he said, if I knew that an aqeeqah was not performed for me, I would perform it for myself. This is in Ibn Abi Shayba in his Al-Musannaf, and Shaykh al-Bani, rahmatullahi states, Sahih, in As-Sahihah 6-506. So like I mentioned, Muhammad ibn Sirin was the famous student of Sayyidina Anas radiyallahu. He had the honor of washing Anas when he, uh, his ghusl before his burial. And he was the famous interpreter of dreams. But he, this great man said, if I knew that nobody performed aqeeqah for me, I would perform it for myself. So not going to the previous report from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa The only argument is maybe they were specific for the Prophet. You could say maybe the Prophet only did it for himself. He didn't give us a comment. But the response now is the Salaf are following suit, indicating it's not just for the Prophet. 
And Hassan al-Basri also echoed, Rahmatullahi, if no one performed akika for you, then perform it for yourself, even if you are a fully grown man. Recorded by Hafiz ibn Hazm in his Al-Muhalla, and Shaykh al-Bani Rahmatullahi states Hassan in As-Sahihah 6-506. So Hassan al-Basri, Rahmatullahi, he said, even if you're fully grown, why? Because your mind might think the time has passed. Because usually there's acts of worship, and the acts of worship, time passes for and it's gone. So Hassan al-Basri put that to bed. He goes, even if you are a fully grown man, because if you know nobody has done akika, perform the akika for yourself. So now why is it so stressed? So Imam Ahmad, rahmatullahi, he was he, he gave in one uh, interpretation. He goes, the akika is a mortgage for the child. So what does that mean? It means that the child, if it dies young, it will intercede for its parents. But it's binding upon the akika. So according to Imam Ahmad, if you do not do an akika for the child, and the child passes away, you are not eligible for that mercy, for the child interceding for you. Because this is the meaning of the, the child is a mortgage and akika. So therefore, there's always wisdom in why Allah the Almighty and Glorious gives the command. Whatever the case is definitely from the Prophet And also famously two for the uh, two sacrifices for the a male and one for the female. So again, not people question this because why are the females only given one sacrifice? And the response is the Prophet said it. You know, if it was the other way around, we wouldn't have had a problem. So we said to the people who got a problem with the genders. We say, if the Prophet had said two for the females, one for the male, we wouldn't have a problem with that. But the Prophet said two for the boy, one for the girl. The scholars also point out, if you do one for each, that's also fine. Two is recommended. So if you do one for the boy, fine, no problem. But two is what's recommended, given by the Prophet And there's also a wisdom for it as well. In one hadith, I can't remember the reference, the report says that the Bani Israel, they would not sacrifice anything upon the birth of a daughter. But when they were blessed with a, a boy, they would sacrifice one goat or one sheep. So the Hadith says to be different from them. The Prophet said, if we are blessed with a daughter, we will sacrifice one. And we will sacrifice two for the boy. So the reason there's two for the boy is to be different from the people of the book. Not because, Billah, the boy is better than the girl. If you understood and also the girl, there was no sacrifice. So the Prophet said, we should remember, be different from the people of the book. But the hadith has weakness. Whatever the case, this is something that you uh, keep in mind. And the time to uh, offer the akika is the 7th, the 14th, or the 21st. So if your child is born on a Thursday, do it on the 7th. If not on the 7th, do it on the 14th. If not, do it on the 21st. And if you realize you've even not done it, then do it later on in your life, mashallah. So with regards to one's extended family, <clears throat> it is sufficient to mention that Sayyidina Abu Bakr, he relates that our beloved messenger said, Sallallahu there is no sin more deserving than his punishment be quickened in this world. <clears throat> for the offender, in addition to what is stored up for him in the Akhirat, than oppression and qati atir rahim, the severing ties of kinship. This is recorded in uh, Shaykh al-Bani Rahmatullah states Sahih in his Sahih Allah double Mufrad number 29. So here in this flawless report, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that certain sins 
are so severe, Allah Ta'ala actually takes you to task for them in the world. And one of them is if you oppress. If you oppress, Allah Ta'ala will take you to task in the world and also in the next. And the other is Qati Atir Rahim, the severing of ties of kinship. So the severing of ties of kinship, the punishment comes into the world and it's stored for you in the next. Conversely, the hadith says, there is nothing which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is obeyed with, which brings a quicker reward than connecting ties of kinship. Subhanallah. This is in As-Sahiha, number 978. So if you want the quickest return in the world, one of the quickest ways to get a return for your good deed is to keep family ties. And if you, Audi Billah, want to be punished quickly in the world, quote family ties. And the Prophet told you that, this puts to bed the only two common satanic whisper. Your family is off their heads. You are better off breaking ties with them. This is what people commonly say. Because the reason I don't keep ties is because they're not practicing and they don't have much understanding and they cause more harm than good. So the response to that is, thank you for your logic. <laughs> what did the Prophet say? <laughs> did he say that if they are off their heads, in fact, when one of the companions' mother came and she wasn't a Muslim, the female companion, Asmara, the Allah said, my mother's come, Ya Rasulullah, can I show her any respect? The Prophet said, yes, she's your mother. So what was she thinking? She was thinking because she's not a Muslim and she maybe have an, uh, has an en uh, enmity towards Islam. But the Prophet goes, show love and affection, she's your mother. So this is a non-Muslim. The Prophet didn't say, well, she's not a Muslim, huh? so forget it. So keep ties. So again, we ask Allah the Almighty and Glorious to give us the strength to do all that pleases Him with acceptance. Amen. So moving on to the next subsection. So to spend a session or so discussing the importance of character. So the blessings of the noble jihad <coughs> on which to constantly try to better our character is such that it even overlaps into this very world. Because our beloved messenger said, nothing ensures a long life other than good character. Nothing ensures a long life other than good character. This is in Tirmadi Hakim and Shaykh Al-Bani Rahmatullah states Hassan in his as number 3403. So now whenever the Prophet said nothing, more often than not, it means is the most excellent or one of the most excellent ways. So if you substitute that meaning, what the Prophet was saying, said, one of the most excellent, if not the most excellent way to ensure a long life is that you better your character. Now think about that. What's that going to do with rewards? So Allah loves that, that he actually starts giving you a, a more blessed life. Or if you take it literally a longer life, because you're striving to work on your character. So one of the key components of character, in fact, of all deeds, is ikhlas. So first of all, the word ikhlas is fascinating. <coughs> the meaning of khalis means sincere or pure. So in Arabic, the word khalis means a person is sincere, he's pure. There's a verse in the Quran which gives you a very interesting meaning. In Surah An-Nahm, Surah 16, verse 66, Allah, the Almighty and Glorious, He says, Audhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajeem, 
وَإِنَّ لَكُمْ فِي الْأَنْعَامِ لَعِبْرَةً نُسْقِيكُمْ مِمَّا فِي بُطُونِهِ مِنْ بَيْنِ فَرْثٍ وَدَمٍ لَبَنًا خَالِصًا صَائِغًا لِلشَّارِبِينَ And verily in the cattle, there is a lesson for you. We give you to drink of that which is in their bellies. From between the excretions and blood, pure milk, palatable to the drinkers. So why on earth have I mentioned this verse when talking about character and ikhlas? Because what does it say? In cattle there is a lesson. We give you to drink what is in their bellies, but then the Quran says, from between the excretions, from between the excretions and blood, pure milk, palatable to the drinkers. So what word does Allah use when he says from between the excretions and the blood, pure milk? He uses the word khalis. Thus khalis means pure and unadulterated, free from the impurities of blood and excretions. Metaphoric, metaphorically representing our physical makeup, even though the milk exists from between the blood and excretions, it comes out pure and uncontaminated. Subhanallah, such also should be our various deeds. Now think about that. Look how precise that is. In fact, this is a scientific fact, the one of the many endless scientific facts in the Quran. Allah Ta'ala doesn't just say milk comes from cattle. <laughs> That's what we say. In fact, people have heard people say that because the Quran says milk comes from cattle. Oh, it's not come from a tree, does it? Right? So, you know, obviously, you haven't even caught the verse. What does the Quran say? We give you to drink that which is in their bellies from between the excretion and blood. And believe it or not, go to the people who know about cattle and they know about the physiology of cattle, the anatomy. They will tell you. You ask them, where is the milk produced? And before they answer, you could say, can I hazard a guess? Because go ahead. Because does it come from between the excretion and the blood? Pure milk. They will give you that look to say, oh, you must have studied a bit about with regards to the veterinary sciences. Because no, I haven't. Not a vet. Not even interested in it. And he goes, where do you get that knowledge from? He's not expecting you to say Quran. He's expecting you to say Encyclopedia Britannica. So you say yeah, it's in Quran. Because Quran, stay away, you got his attention. Because what does it say in the Quran? Because verily in the cattle there's a lesson for you. We give you to drink of what is in their bellies from between the excretions of blood, pure milk, palatable to the drinkers. So that is an amazing scientific fact in the Quran. But with regards to what we're discussing, what does Allah Ta'ala say? Pure milk. Why does Allah Ta'ala call it pure? Because it comes from between two impurities. Khalis. So what does khalis mean? Khalis means that there's no impurity. You've took, you've took away the impurities. So the Arabic language, if you look at the words, you, you can see the divine origin of the language. Which other language has this? If somebody goes to you, go to the root word of sincerity. I don't think you'll get much from that, would you? In English. If you go into the Arabic, Khalis, he goes, what? And he goes, yeah, Khalis means take away the impurity, you're left with the pure. Allah Ta'ala gives the example of milk. 
pure milk. So this also should be our deeds. That's the whole point I'm discussing. When you're doing your deeds, get rid of the filth. Leave only what's pure. Consider the following few examples from the giants who came before us. Hafiz Zahbi in his seer. Hamad ibn Zaid rahmatullah he said, at times Ayyub rahmatullah would narrate a hadith and he would get emotional. He would thereupon turn aside, blow his nose and he would say how cold it is today. He was trying to make people think he had a cold in order to hide his tears. Subhanallah, this was simply out of his hope of being shaded by the shade of Allah on the day when there will be no shade except his. So one of the righteous, obviously, when he will narrate the revelation, he would be moved. But he thought that if I shed tears publicly, this is maybe real. So what he would do was, and the people who knew him knew he wasn't, it wasn't really the case. He'd give the impression that it's cold. So when a person knows starts running, he gets his handkerchief and he blows it because it's cold today. Because he only did that to hide his tears. Hassan al-Basri similarly related, Rahmatullah there were some who would sit in a gathering and then feel the tears welling up, but they would resist them. If they feared that the tears would be seen, they would stand up and leave. This is in Ahmad in his Zuhat 262. So imagine, you know, they're just about trying their best to hold their tears. They can't control it. They'll walk out. Because <laughs> I'd rather walk out. I don't want to be in a gathering when I'm shedding tears. Why? Because people would think that maybe this is a pious person. So compare that to what you see now. <laughs> when the cameras zoom in next minute, you know. One more example. So this is recorded by Hafiz Zahbi in his Seer 8-386 Tariq Baghdad 10-159 Muhammad ibn Isa Rahmatullah he relates Ibn al-Mubarak Rahmatullah he would frequently visit Tarasus and would stay at a hostel in Raqqa there was a youth there who would tend to him take care of his needs and listen to the hadith from him so who's this personality Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak he was from the Tabatabir. So he's from the Salaf. He's from the era of the Imam Malik, Imam Shafi, Imam Ahmad. And he's the only person in the Hadith literature that nobody has found a fault with. So he's one of those rare personalities who are you know, known for their extreme piety. So he would go to this place called Tarasus and he would stay at a hostel in smashed up place in Raqqa. And there was a youngster there who would, you know, show honor to him and listen to Hadith. Once, however, Ibn al-Mubarak came to Raqqa, he did not see him. He then left in a hoodie with a contingent for jihad. So he went to Raqqa and Abdullah Ibn al-Mubarak didn't see the youth. But he didn't have much time to find out because he was going on jihad. Abdullah Ibn al-Mubarak would do six months jihad and six months, six months hajj. That was his like yearly needs. So he left in a hoodie for jihad. When he returned, he inquired about the young lad and he was informed that the youngster has been imprisoned over a debt of 10,000 dirhams. He goes, oh, Sheikh, the reason you haven't seen him is because uh, he's in debt and he can't pay the debt. So he's in prison. So Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak, he made inquiries as to who was the creditor. In other words, who does he owe the money to? 
When he found him, he said to the man, here's 10,000 dirhams. But you must promise to swear to keep this secret as long as I am alive. So what Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak did, rahmatullahi, he paid the youngster's debt off. But he told the creditor, swear an oath. You will not expose this as long as I'm alive. He goes, yes, no problem. The youngster was released. And Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak by that time had left the town. When the young man co-took with him two junctures away from Iraqqa, Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak said, young man, where have you been? <coughs> I have not seen you recently. He replied, oh Abu Abdul Rahman, I was in prison because of a debt. So Abdullah ibn Mubarak asked, how did you get out? He said, subhanallah, because a man came and paid my debt. I have no idea who's paid it. So Ibn al-Mubarak said, thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Subhanallah, the youngster only found out who had paid the debt after Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak passed away. <laughs> so now think about this. This undoubtedly is Ihsan. Now Ihsan, again, look at these words. We just write Allah, Ihsan. So you go to the people who know Arabic language. Ihsan was Ihsan. It goes, it means to beautify. To, to, to beautify. He goes, yes. He goes, to beautify something. So he goes, so what's Muhsin? He goes, the Muhsin is the beautiful believer. He's not a normal believer. So why is he called Muhsin? He goes, because he beautifies his deeds. He goes, right, okay. Now look at these people who are Muhsin. How dear are they to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? After death, the criminals, those who were shaitans or major sinners, they will wish to return to this world. And what do they ask for? In Surah Az-Zumr, Surah 39, verse 58, they say, Lest it say when it sees the punishment, if only I had another chance, so I could be amongst the muhsineen. So what does Allah the Almighty and Glorious say about the criminals? Because when they see the punishment, what will they say? They will say, if only I had another chance. لو أن لي فأكون من المحسنين. So I could be what? Now think about that. A criminal is not asking to return to be a decent person. He wants to come back as a muhsin. So what has he seen? He realizes this is where honor lies. I need to beautify your deeds for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So even the criminals Allah is telling you will want to come back to become a muhsin. So what then is the status of the muhsin? Now think about that. You know, Allahu Akbar. So going back to the report of Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak rahmatullah 10,000 dirhams. Now think about that. He Did he really even know this youngster? He was an acquaintance during travel. But when he found out he was in debt, he paid off his debt secretly. So is there anything we know about debt being paid off secretly? Is there anything famous you can mention here? Is there anything from the revelation? The Prophet said, he said that 
whoever pays off the debt of his brother secretly, he will be able to enter paradise through whichever gate he wishes. This is in Abu Ya'la, authentic hadith. It's part of a long report. So it's one of those amazing deeds that give you such a maqam. You can go through any gate of paradise. So he paid off 10,000. But what was he worried about? He was worried now, This I don't want this to be exposed. Now think about it. It has been exposed. I'm talking about it. Do you honestly believe Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak wanted us to talk about it? Imagine going back in time and saying 2023 Christian era in the, the western lands of Europe, there'll be Muslims talking about this incident. You know, he's probably looking at you thinking, what are you talking about? Why is Allah done that? Because the Prophet said, in even if you hide your deed in the, inside a rock, Allah will bring it to surface. He will expose it. So this is why it's been exposed. And Alhamdulillah, only after he passed away, Allah uh, showed it. So all I mentioned was basically a few reports with regards to the family. And then I mentioned, now talking about the character, and in particular we're focusing upon ikhlas, the bedrock of all deeds. Are there any questions you'd like to ask? Subhanallah <laughs> <laughs>